This is Coda Radio, episode 476 for July 25th, 2022. Hey there, good buddy. Welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and sitting there with a very, very special hat, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. Hello, sir. I like the whole vibe today. You feel like, I don't know, in my ears, you just feel closer. It's it's intimate. Intimate. It's like you're right here whispering into my ear. Love it. I think it's this new audio pipeline. Anyways, I uh, saw the news that you got yourself one of them little baby launches. Yeah, it's a review unit. Uh, I'm using it right now, so I don't know if you could hear that. It's quieter, isn't it? It's quieter. It's smaller. Is it much smaller? Yeah, I'm going to live in it a little longer. It's not that much. It's weirdly smaller. Okay. I definitely could see who the user for this is. Though, I, for my money, I think I prefer the classic launch. Particularly because, you know, the USB hub is super helpful. So, when, when it's smaller, what did they sacrifice? Does it not have the F keys? And, like, does it not have the home and page up buttons along the side? What was, what was lost? Uh, it has the home and page up. The... Arrows are aligned, like so the right arrow is aligned with the end key and there's no space between them. The number and function row is one combination row. I'm looking at mine right now as you talk, so I'm like I'm like visualizing it as you okay. Hmm. Good experience. I got I, I got the pink switches, the quiet switches. Yeah. Which I you know, I'm I'm usually more of a middle of the road kind of clicky guy. But this isn't bad. I mean I do typo on it a lot. I think I have enough muscle memory for the bigger one that it is something of a change, but I could see people who maybe are just ever so slightly more desk-constrained wanting this. The only additional thing I think I would want that might make me like this model better than the classic launch is for its small size, it really should be wireless. Oh, wireless would be killer. Because then it'd be like a fancy like magic keyboard replacement. Now, I could understand when it's a USB hub, USB-C hub and whatnot, why you couldn't have one wireless. But interesting. Maybe that's a uh, launch three. You know, you never know. You never know. You got to figure, too, they got to make it smaller if they're ever going to get it built into a laptop. So if they're ever going to get it into a laptop, they got to keep working that down. Chunky Pie wrote into the show, and he's feeling the call of the M. He says, I love listening to you guys talk about uh, programming in 475. Uh, he says, your conversation over declarative UI was interesting. I hate programming UIs <laughs> and dealing with all the text boxes, buttons, and screen sizes. Now, here's the thing, Mike. He says, I love Linux, and I love supporting made-for-Linux laptops, but guys, those new M1 and M2 MacBooks are sexy. I can't wait till Asahi Linux is 100% baked. I think I'm going to have to get an M2 or an M3 at that point. Love what you're doing. Now, I think you'll recall that your humble co-host here proclaimed that he was concerned that over the years, and I think it's been about a year since he made this concern public, he was concerned that we would see a drainage to the Mac from the Linux community, much like we did when the whole GNOME 3 Unity situation happened. We saw a big exodus to the Intel Mac platform, and then that happened to be right around when Apple did a processor transition. Here we are again. Apple's doing a processor transition, and I feel like we're going to see a big exodus to the Mac. And I think we have. I, I kind of actually think my prediction has bared out just based on a lot of anecdotal data. 
Yeah, I think it's it's. Uh, in fact, we have something to show from uh, John Gruber, which I know is a super Apple fan person. But you can't you can't fight the numbers and the power efficiency on these M1 chips and M2 chips, but more the M1s. That's something the industry just needs to catch up to. I mean, there's really no two ways about it. The situation with multi-monitors and high DPI and high refresh rate, while it's not like amazing on the Mac, it's so much better than Linux. Our buddy Brent is down at Alex's house and Alex has a bunch of nice screens and Brent's kind of experiencing for the first time what it's like when you have an NVIDIA GPU and you got some high DPI, high refresh rate screens and you're using the Plasma desktop and things sometimes just don't work. They get rearranged. The monitors get weird refresh issues. Like there's, he's running into all these problems. And I have to tell you, I have heard from a lot of people in the audience that like, yeah, I got a MacBook. It's just works so good with my external monitors. You know, the battery lasts all day. It's Unix enough, right? I don't, I don't really hear about a lot of people defecting to windows. You hear about the WSL stories and how it's great, but those are existing windows users, right? But I hear a lot of Linux users converting to the Mac, uh, you and I both know uh, a former Linux podcaster who's no longer a Linux podcaster who switched to the Mac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, it'll ebb and flow, to be honest with you. I think the Linux desktop is in kind of this vulnerable transition point right now where we don't have open source NVIDIA drivers, but in a year or two, that's going to be really solid. We're really on, like, a, we might, we're, we're, we're seeing good momentum on the transition to Wayland, but not really fully there yet. Doesn't work for everybody. There's a lot of things like that right now. We'll see. Stone writes in. He says, hello, longtime listener, first time caller. I was listening to the latest Coder episode and want to drop my two cents on the declarative UI portion of the show. For background, I'm a Flutter developer and I have been working in Flutter since sometime during the V1 release. I also work in React.js and I've tried my hand at Xamarin or I think it's maybe Xamarin, React Native and even a little bit of UWP skis. To the point of write once and it looks great everywhere, I have to say Flutter is the closest to this dream of all of the alternatives that have been discussed. Unlike other cross-platform frameworks, Flutter uses its own rendering engine, allowing for custom UI elements that really do look like the same thing no matter what platform it's running on. This is opposed to the way other cross-platform libraries work in which essentially just a library that translates to a native UI and makes it harder to have consistent look and feel across platforms like iOS, Android, or the desktop. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Web development, while technically officially supported, still runs rather horribly on mobile browsers. And he goes on to say there is still an amount of work needed to make the UI adaptive based on device size. However, the overall polish, performance, and ease of development outweighs the cons, in my opinion. I've bought multiple production Nope. I've brought multiple production applications to market using Flutter, and I think we'll only see more examples of this as the platform matures. Uh, one thing though, to warn anyone considering Flutter. At some point, you will have to gain some basic knowledge in Swift and Kotlin. This is if you want to actually hook into the platform's native function, think like local authentication, where plugins are not available or you're just going to have to do something where you write it yourself. <laughs> he says, looking forward to the upcoming meetups too. Yeah, you probably agree with this take. Yeah, for sure. This is, uh, 
I mean, you know, I, we keep hearing about the, the, the flutter, what we call them, the flutter birds keep chirping at us. I will say, just Chris is right, like every other cross-platform framework, you're eventually going to have to drop under the hood. It might take a while. You might have to ship a few apps without doing it. But one day you're going to have to and just, you know, be prepared. Good input and feedback, though. Uh, thank you, Stone. I, I like hearing about that. I just I got a tingle about Flutter recently, just seeing more and more like just things in the community and whatnot of projects people are working on. Who knows? Maybe you can come tell me at some of our upcoming meetups, because holy smokes, do we have some meetups. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting, Friday, August 5th. 6 p.m. local time, there is a meetup in London. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to relate to you about that. But uh, the details are at the meetup.com page. And then we have all of the dates for our West Coast tour. Those are also at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Start signing up for that. And then, last but not least, this is the big one, the tour lottery form. If you are in the Pasadena area and would like to get a tour of JPL. You can join the lottery at linuxunplugcom slash JPL. It's really quick little form we have on Nextcloud. You fill that out, and then we're going to run a little script to pick 15 names and probably five or so backups, just in case somebody can't make it. We just ask that if you, uh, if you sign up, that you can definitely be in the area when it is time, which is September 29th. Uh, around 12.30 p.m. in the Pasadena area at the JPL offices. So that's going to be pretty awesome. But it's such a limited availability. We had to do it as a lottery. So it's linuxunplug.com slash JPL for that. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And, of course, it's a great way to support the show. Linode is fast, reliable cloud hosting. You really got to go try it. That's why they're giving you 100 bucks to see what I'm talking about, because they do it so much better than everyone else. The best way to understand that is to experience it. And speaking of experience, if you're brand new to deploying a server, they've got a marketplace where you can deploy all kinds of useful things, like a system ready to go with Docker or a GitLab instance. Perhaps you want Drupal or, you know, one that I just was looking at. And I thought, geez, I should I should mention this on the show. They have Easy Panel, which is, well, as it says, <laughs> it's, it's an Easy Panel based on Docker that lets you deploy Node.js, Ruby, Python, PHP, Go, and Java applications in their intuitive control panel. It manages the SSL certs. You can even run commands on the command line through the browser interface. And of course, it integrates with GitHub, so you can push and pull your code down to it. And that's just a one-click deployment on Linode. And if you're a pro, they got options for you, too, including guides that let you build systems up from the ground up. They even have bare metal rigs. And one of the back-end features I love on Linode is their S3-compatible object storage. It's so handy. We use it for all kinds of storage for systems that are kind of always accumulating data, like our NextCloud instance or our PeerTube instance. But it's also just a great way to distribute certain high-availability files, like XML files for an RSS feed and things like that. And, you know, they've been doing this for nearly 19 years. So they've managed to build the best way to run applications on Linux in the cloud. With 11 data centers around the world, they are their own ISP, so their connection is super fast. And they're always investing back into the hardware. They just recently added MVME PCI storage. Before that, they upgraded AMD Epic processors. They've just done, they've just launched a database as a service. Service? <laughs> there's, probably a, there's probably a better way I could say that. But I think you know what I mean. I mean, I could just go on and on. But I think probably the best thing to do would be to get that $100 and try it. 
Why not get that $100? Don't leave it on the table and go support the show. Go to linode.com slash coder. Once again, that's linode.com slash coder. Well, John Gruber was feeling spicy this week. He's got Apple Silicon is an inconvenient truth as opposed to one of his, I guess, links. I don't know what he calls them. But he's calling out a trend that I've noticed, and you may have noticed, but recently certain review outlets like the Wirecutter and Ars Technica are excluding the MacBooks, the M-series MacBooks, from comparison. So they'll compare, say, the Surface Go 2, and they'll compare it against other x86 laptops, but they won't put the M-series machines in there. And what's a little sticky about that, when they reviewed the Surface Go 1, they absolutely compared it against MacBooks. They were just Intel MacBooks at the time, but when they made the transition to the M-series, they kind of quietly just stopped comparing the Intel laptops to the MacBooks. And uh, Gruber writes that he's quite certain that the reviewers are just essentially leaving it out because they don't want to piss off the PC fans in their audience. And that he says, quote, Apple Silicon is profoundly an inconvenient truth for many computer enthusiasts who do not like Macs. So they've gone into denial. And to appease them, he postulates, Wirecutter, ours, and others are just taking the Macs out of the comparison altogether. Is that what's going on, do you think? Or is there maybe something less dramatic? Uh, I think there's a couple things going on, right? Uh, on the flame side, I would even add that, you know, people like to get review units, right? Pissing off the people is usually not done. Right. You're right. Like if they make the Surface Book 2 look like a clown in the battery life department and in the temperature department, then there might not they might not get access to another one. Right. I mean, the reality is if you're not for some reason bound to Windows and you're just like a you know a regular non you know, let's say non Linux enthusiast. There's not a real good reason not to buy a Mac other than maybe price, but even then those errors are pretty affordable. The M1 errors. So, yeah, I I, I kind of think this is Intel and AMD have to get their shit together, and the lead is pretty significant for Apple Silicon right now. I'll I'll play devil's advocate just for fun. I'll say that perhaps. What's going on now is just a realization in the marketplace that if you're buying a Windows laptop, there is probably a motivator that's putting you into the Windows ecosystem. And so you're not really in the market for a Mac. So it's probably more fair to compare the Macs against Macs and the x86 boxes against other Wintel systems. I mean, because you, you see, you could take this as far as, well, why isn't there an Ubuntu system in the mix? And right, like, you could, where do you draw the line? So they have to look at the actual consumer market and go, well, if you're shopping for a Surface Go, you're in the Windows ecosystem. So therefore, we'll compare it to other comparable Windows ecosystem laptops. It's not a complete picture. It's like a slicing of the market. But maybe that's what's at play here. Well, I mean, that does make sense. I would also say that price range stuff, particularly with the M2s and MacBook Pros, they could argue that, well, we're looking at a price budget and these are just way out of it. Yeah. Although the Go, you know, I mean, the Go is like the price of an Air, right? I don't I don't know for sure. But I so I think the, the point that Gruber makes in there, because he makes this kind of ham-fisted comparison to climate change deniers. And I think what I take from that comparison is 
if he if they were demonstrating the benchmarks and the comparisons against the MacBook, it would put pressure on the PC OEMs to do better, to to produce computers that consume less power, that produce less heat, that have faster disk drives. You know, it would put pressure on them to produce better machines, and so it'd be long term better for the entire market. I don't I don't think that's actually how things work, right? Like what is Intel? Okay, well Intel will just, you know, crank the 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 knob to faster and and less power. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to be able to do that, right? Like Intel, I I'd say AMD has something more of a chance. Uh but even then it, it's it, it, Apple really has a winner here with the, with this Apple silicon. And I know people aren't going to like to to hear that, but it's just the truth. Yeah, especially when you consider they've been able to scale it from watches to set top boxes, phones, tablets, and th- something like the Mac Studio. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I, I have to give it to them. Okay, but let's talk about where they're not so impressive. This is both the most ridiculous small change ever and a monumental moment that took a decade to actually make happen. Netflix is rolling out an external subscription button for iOS users. Just to kind of give you some history here, This has been a back and forth for a long time. And back in 2018, Netflix just removed the ability to subscribe within Apple's ecosystem altogether because of Apple's 30% cut. So now there's a button in the app to subscribe. When you hit that, a message comes up that says, quote, you're about to leave the app and go to an external website. And then it also tells you that the transaction will have Apple will have no responsibility if things go sideways and that uh, subscription management will have to be done independently. You're not going to get that. You got to do that on Netflix's site. And then once they once you clear that message, their page comes up and it's a pretty big message, too. It's like a full screen modal dialogue that comes up with big, bold text that tells you you're going somewhere dangerous, basically. But. You get to do it, and then you get to subscribe outside of the Apple ecosystem via the web browser. Right, and the app developer, in this case Netflix, gets to uh, basically have that customer relationship, which is what they always wanted. Netflix just wants to be in a relationship with you, Chris. Yeah, directly. They don't want want it to be a three-way. They just want it to be a one-on-one thing. Uh, No menage a trois. Yeah. This, though, it's so funny, right? What we're talking about is ostensibly Netflix is now allowed to put a link that opens up the web browser and shows a page where you can subscribe. That's all that's happened. And it's taken almost quite literally the run of this entire show to materialize. Mm, yeah, it's, <laughs> so <far>. it's yeah, <laughs> that's where we're at right now. That's where things are at these days. But there's small little things like I've noticed, too, that uh, Google, I think it's in the EU. I could be wrong. I apologize. I didn't grab this before the show. But Google is now also allowing uh, another payment processor in a rather large Western market that isn't Google. They're allowing a third-party payment system, and now Apple is expected to do the same, but we don't have details on that yet. After a dozen years, I don't know how long the App Store has been around, 10 years, more, and this we've gotten this far. Apple held the line. The other watchers on the wall. Yeah, I, I think... Apple rightly recognized several years ago that the App Store is a 20-year moneymaker for them, right? You can buy a device once every couple of years, but you hopefully are going to get to the point where you're subscribed to Apple Arcade and you're buying an app every, you know, couple apps a month. 
You got a couple of subscriptions going, right? They don't need it to be a lot, right? But if you could, if they could get 15 bucks, 20 bucks out of you a month, they're happy, right? And the app store is a huge player in that. And I think that's why they just fight it so relentlessly because long-term, I think they see it as kind of how they're going to get rent. Sweet, sweet recurring revenue. Everybody loves it, man. Tailscale.com slash coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices. And of course, it's a great way to support the show. Tailscale is my favorite VPN solution by a mile. It's a zero config VPN that installs on any device in minutes, manages your firewall rules, and it works from anywhere, even in double carrier NAT situations. I can attest to that. Devices connect directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol, building you a mesh network with the best VPN security in the business. And you'd be surprised how quickly and easily you can create a network between your servers, your computers, and your cloud instances and create one flat network where everything has a static IP. And yeah, you could even put a pie hole system in that network or any DNS server, and you can start doing name resolution in your tail scale network. I use it to keep all of my family computers connected, all of the studio's computers connected. It's how I do tech support. It's how I do work. It's a major component to be able to get to... Well, they're not even like super secure resources. It's actually, they're resources that are just not secure enough. And so I don't want to put them on the public web. I don't even want to open up ports on my firewall. And now with TailScale, I don't have any inbound ports on any of my firewalls. That's huge for me. And I have it running on x86 Arch servers, Raspberry Pis running OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. I have it on my iPhone, my iPad, my Nixbox. I mean, everything. You get up and running in just minutes. They have it for Windows and Mac, of course. I should probably make that statement, but it's obvious. And they even have like binaries available for a Linux system. Say you're on Silverblue like I was and you just want the binary. They got that too. Devices get going and, you know, they'll work with your existing identity provider as well. So you can easily enforce multi-factor authentication, say if you're in a business. And the fact that the TailScale VPN is always on on every OS I use and has a slick little GUI, including there's even a really nice GNOME extension out there to get the GUI in the GNOME menu. It's just dead simple. It works every time. It's super reliable. And you're protected by WireGuard. So go try it yourself for free and support the show. Go to tailscale.com slash coder. Again, that's tailscale.com slash coder. Well, I hate to say it, and I truly do mean this. I really hate to say it, but it does seem like the tech hiring slowdown is starting. Big tech layoffs and hiring freezes are prompting recession fears that are actually trickling into other parts of the industry, according to an article at the Washington Post that uh, was, uh, I think it went live like on Friday or something of that extent. And it captures a lot of the moves by the big tech industry. Last week, we found out that Microsoft has laid off a thousand staff. Microsoft has also halted hiring in the Windows team and the office divisions for May, at least, and perhaps beyond. We just don't know. This is old information that just came out. Intel has told employees it would not hire more staff in the PC chip division, and it's reevaluating company priorities. Cisco has announced it is hiring more cautiously, saying, quote, it is time to be prudent. Apple has announced that it is doing a hiring pause amongst, quote, economic uncertainty, saying it's tapping the brakes. Google is switching from a hiring slowdown to a complete hiring halt for at least two weeks with a reevaluation how they're going to proceed for the rest of the year. It's kind of all happening, and I hate it. I hate to see this. And it's not, it's not an emergency. It's not like everything's crumbling. 
But I think the analogy that people are hitting the brakes now, they're tapping the brakes, they're still on the freeway, we're still going down the freeway, but they're tapping the brakes, and we're starting to see a backup. That's a bad analogy, but you know what I mean? So I think there's a couple things going on here. I apologize, I forgot the name of the podcast I was listening to, but they had a uh, pretty prominent VC on there, I think Mark something. And it was hilarious listening to this guy, Chris. He could barely like withhold his glee. Because really, the valuations were too high, the salaries were too high, especially at you. I'm talking your startups, right? And, you know, a lot of these companies don't make money, not even just the big boys, but I think we're going to feel this first in the startups. We're going to see a lot of culling there. Um, we're going to see far less generous compensation offers. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of the bigger firms use these, well, you have to come into the office as a way to get people to self uh, basically sell fire, right, to quit. And then they'll start reevaluating salaries, basically pulling them down at the higher end, which is an interesting kind of dichotomy we have. We have you know, like service industry workers, hospitality workers, their salaries are generally going up. I just saw, uh, you know, my buddy owns a pub and 17 bucks an hour for a dishwasher, which was like crazy. God, I almost want to do that. Right. But the high end is going to go down because honestly, it was overheated. Right, these startups were were throwing money like they're can't, like it's going out of style, and I I can't get over stress it enough. They don't make money, and they're not as honorable as Sun Microsystems. So you know we can't tolerate them not making money. They have to fail. I agree with your thesis to a degree. I think if we were to continue to see an economic tightening, we were continued to see a hawkish Fed policy. Yes, I think you're right. You would see kind of this reckoning, a return to the mean, an actual return to values and fundamentals that, you know, drive profits and revenue. And I have worked for a couple of VC funded companies, you know, in the mid hundreds to few hundred to 700 employee range. I bet anybody listening that has two knows exactly what I'm about to say is 100% true. I saw so much money wasted. Like in like stuff that when I ran my business, we would never even consider because, you know, everything we bought was really carefully calculated. But I mean, I just saw unbelievable expenses on all kinds of stuff, travel stuff and office stuff and just things that they had groups of people working on that would never produced a penny. They just were a complete 100 percent cost center and that kind of stuff. Um, we've just seen that. We've seen that as like a like a sickness spread throughout American business culture. I think anybody listening who works at a company with more than 100 people probably has something that goes on at their business that is a 100% total cost center that doesn't produce anything beneficial for the company. The kind of stuff that if you are life and death, you know, just survive by every paycheck kind of thing you would never allow. But when you've got money coming in, it sort of makes it easy to just kind of ignore that stuff. Like, the saying is that, you know, when the, when the, when the, when the tide is in and everybody's out swimming and having a great time... Everybody looks like they're having a party, but when the tide goes out, when the, when the money slows down, when the tide goes out, you see who's been swimming without their shorts on. And so I would agree with your thesis if we got that far. I don't think we'll get that far. I think the money printer will turn back on probably in November, somewhere between now and November, but probably not right yet. And when that happens, the money will get dumped back into the tech sector just like it always has. Oh, oh, I hope not. It'll be mega bubble time, buddy. But we, we've been printing money. We have been on a financial bender since 2008 with maybe one or two moments of clarity in there. 
unfortunately, right, if you're an addict, you eventually have to go through the withdrawals. It's it's time to go through the withdrawals. It's time to, I mean, come on. Look at these dumb businesses that were being started. Look at how these companies that make no money have effectively, de- I would argue they devalue actual, like, modestly profitable, you know, what could grow into from small to, like, medium-sized firms because it's all growth, 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 you know, IPO without ever turning a profit. What's the product? Remember Silicon Valley action Jack Barker talking to Richard Hendricks? I will never compromise the product, Richard. And he's like, oh, the algorithm? No, you idiot. The stock. (laughs) It's like, it's crazy. It's all effectively, and I know you love crypto, but it's all effectively like a securities. It's a casino, basically. Oh, crypto? Securities? Yeah, absolutely. Well, not just crypto. The the stock in these startups. What's what's the difference? Why not call it, uh, you know... Well, the two are related, right? The reason why you've seen crypto and NFTs just go crazy is because they're securities that Wall Street guys are playing around with. That The money that's been pouring into crypto isn't coming from Wall Street bets, a subreddit, right? Like, yeah, a handful of it is. But they're a drop in the bucket compared to the billions on Wall Street that are screwing around with off-the-book securities. I completely agree. Have you ever hang out at Wall Street bets? Yeah, I've been in there a couple of times. I mean, like, literally twice. Have you noticed over the last month? I I I read it's in my Reddit feed now, and I tend to read. I don't know. I've, I've somehow been drawn to Reddit again, uh, but I never comment because oh my god. Yeah, good call. A lot of it is like less, you know, diamond hands to the moon, ape this, you know, we're the apes, whatever the hell that means. And now it's like I just lost twenty thousand dollars, and my wife is divorcing me. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that right now. There's a lot of that going on. It's like, yeah, well, dude, you you like. You were only doing well because, again, I'm going to say it, the Fed had everybody on a freaking bender. And I think right now people just haven't really fully realized it yet because it's been so normalized because it's been happening in the background for so long. I don't think it's totally clicked yet. I don't think people have made the connection to the state of employment, the state of the tech industry and the money printer. I, I think they're just too distant for most people. See, this is the problem. The tech industry, I feel like in a lot of ways, is going through some sort of transition. I know this is, welcome to Old Man Radio. When we started this show, it was all about like crazy ideas, you know, mobile, mobile, mobile. Rapid product development. Rapid, you know, MVPs. We talked a lot. Move quick, break things. talked a lot about agile, right, and different forms of that. And now it seems like tech and media are like in this weird serpentine polyamorous orgy with politics. Well, all of the tech companies wanted to become media stars and media platforms. All the media companies want to become tech companies. It's the great. (laughs) Everybody, they all want to be streaming platforms or they all want to be media companies. Nobody realized that the only reason they're at this crazy college party at this frat party is because, you know, pledge master fed was just bringing the kegs in. Let's go. Let me tell you something as a man. I think you can. I think Chris will go with this. Chris, if you had to ask me to identify a bender, if you had to pick of all the hosts, who could identify a bender when he sees one? It's got to be me. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I would. I would agree. I think we've been on a what is it, fourteen year bender? It's time to stop. It's time to, uh, you know, there's going to be some vomiting. There's definitely going to be some uh, tragic cases of startup founders losing everything. But you never had it. It was a lie. So. Yeah, but it's a yeah, but it's a little bit different when it's like say you and me, right? If like if this thing if this thing gets really rolling, 
it's probably going to wipe out the advertising market and it may wipe out people's uh, appetite for development projects as well. Well, it's going to, yeah, everybody's going to get hit. It's, but what's the alternative? We just keep going. That's exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, you can't do this forever. Nope. All right. But, you know, he could probably do it for another cycle. Our sons will get to fix it, right? Our kids will get to fix it. <laughs> oh, I think it's going to bite us. Oh, I think we'll be around for it. There's a lot of moving pieces to something like this. But at the end of the day, the Fed policy is to make changes to their policy that increase unemployment. The idea being that if you increase unemployment, you'll reduce demand, you'll cool the market. That should have a lowering effect on inflation. I know this is this is this is a long way removed from development. And you're probably wondering how it all kind of connects together. The way it all connects together, what Mike and I are trying to tell you with this entire discussion has been about is this is directly connected to the health of the tech industry. It is directly connected to the employment market. It is directly connected to the indie business market. It is a one for one thing. Whatever the Fed policy changes, it directly impacts the tech market directly because this tech market has thrived during a period of loose economic policy, loose money, easy money, better than free money, really. So that's changed for now. And as long as it stays in this state, the tech industry will take more and more hits. It'll, the, the health will deteriorate. I imagine it's not forever, though. But that's how this all kind of comes back together is it is directly correlated. When you hear about the Fed hiking rates, that makes money more expensive for these companies that operate off of loans. I mean, you hear about how Apple has so much money in the bank, right? They're just sitting on tons of money, like $2 trillion. They legit, they decided to become a credit card company because they didn't know what to do with it. And now they're a buy now, pay later firm. How did Apple manage to run operating expenses while putting all of their money in an offshore savings account? How did they do that? They take loans because they have a guaranteed collateral. They have that balance. They can take out loans like crazy against it. They get access to loans in a way that average people like us just can't even comprehend. You know, you want a few bill? Here you go. Here's a line of credit, Apple. Here's a few billion line of credit. No problem at all. And when the interest rates are lower than inflation, it tends to work out better for a company like Apple to take a loan out. And that's what they've been doing. They've been getting access to easy money like that. And that easy money is going away. That's just it right there. The, the loans cost more now because the base rates are going up. Yeah. But on a, on a positive note, if you are a, you know, someone looking to be an entrepreneur, I hate to say it, but particularly if you're young and don't have things like kids, dogs, and mortgages, this type of environment, a crash is always a great time to start up. Not like in the VC way. But it, it, it's, it still will be possible, of course. But there will be opportunities coming from... Don't forget, we're still experiencing changing dynamics of remote work. COVID apparently decides it wants to visit again. And something about somebody slept with a monkey. I don't know what the hell happened there, but probably a BSD user. So if you want to create you know, the next... Just please don't create Uber for something, right? But some interesting technology product that maybe works with these trends that you can bootstrap this is still a pretty good time if you focus on where things are transitioning to because i don't i don't know what chris thinks but i don't think we're done with our covid hangover yeah seemingly not eh? at least we have the uh provolax or whatever it is the the 
Pfizer Mectin. At least we have that now. Uh, so hopefully that's helping people. But I think your tote's right. Like these types of markets are a time to build and invest. And then when the market turns around, you want to be in a position to catch that wave. And the only way you're going to be ready is if you've been building something, creating a bit of credibility, creating a bit of network effect around it. And then when things pick back up and there's market demand again and people are looking for the solution that you've created, you're there for it. These types of downturns that we're in right now can be beneficially life-changing for a career trajectory or for somebody that wants to start an independent business and has the ability to hunker down, survive, and weather the storm. That's the next wave, yeah. Yeah, right? And also, when these things tend to happen, there's still markets, amazingly, that do all right and are still hiring. And so it's just a matter about finding those places. Like, and even some regions still end up doing better than other regions as well. So it's not all a bad thing. And I think maybe that's the part we could focus on a bit more is these are actually great valleys of opportunity. And when you start to look at it as a moment of opportunity, you start to think, God, I, I hope I hope the down market lasts long enough. I hope I have enough time. Right. <laughs> you start to it changes your mindset about it instead of like, oh, God. Here we go. How long is this going to take? Oh, I'm bracing myself. Instead of that, it's a, uh, oh, I hope it's a down market that lasts a while. I hope I hope I have enough time to build this thing, right? That's actually, you know, a, a nice mindset shift. It, it helps you get through it. But Chris is probably right because we live in a cynical world and there's an election coming up. So the Fed will probably start printing money again. Oh, dear. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you. But what you can boost for your podcast. Boost to Gray. All right. Well, we got some boosts this week. Optimus Gray boosted in with a big one. He is coming in with a big row of ducks, 22,222 sets. Now, he was listening live and uh, was just enjoying the show. We stream over at Jupiter.tube on Mondays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. We're not yet live in the podcast apps, but that is part of the podcasting 2.0 spec is the ability to actually live stream in the podcast app. So you just subscribe to Coda Radio. And when we're live, it'll just show up in your podcast player as a live item that you could just listen to, tap it and just tune into the stream. And then when the stream's over, it goes away. And then the actual edited version takes over and replaces it. It's a pretty neat system. So we'll be there one day, but we're not there yet because step one is getting to the point where we're satisfied with creating and generating our own RSS feeds, which uh, we're just kind of at the beginning of that. Next boost comes in from Yukon Cornelius with 2000 sats. B-O-O-S-T. I'm curious to know if the GitHub Copilot models make their way into Visual Studio's AI autocomplete. What do they call that? IntelliSense? I've used VS1 at work. It supposedly scans my code base to provide the recommendations. No mention of scanning GitHub, though that seems to be true. The Visual Studio recommendations often seem like they were coded by me. I found the feature actually saves me a ton of time. Visual Studio offers a custom version of Copilot that scans your own code for the training model. Saves him a ton of time, he says. The uh, Copilot in VS Code also does that, in addition to whatever external sources it scans. And have you found that useful? As a form of autocomplete, yeah. I mean, I tend to use the same patterns over and over again because I'm old and uh, you will pry my delegate pattern out of my cold dead hands. 
I use what works. Me, me and Deckard Kane were there. No, it's it's <laughs> useful. I mean, the thing about CodePilot is it's basically better IntelliSense, but when it's wrong, it's freaking hilarious. Uh, the Golden Dragon boosted in with a gigabyte of sats, 1024. Holy crap, that's too much sats. He says, uh, Mike, you need to go grab yourself some Microsoft tactical wear. I don't know if you saw this. Tactical? Yeah, they've launched the hardware division designed by one of Microsoft's creative directors. And it's like super retro, cheesy Microsoft swag, including pants that cost like $150 cargo pants. No, that's not going to happen. I mean, you got a little Microsoft logo on there, man. Don't you want it? Come on. Actually, they look really comfortable. I'm not going to lie. They're not like uh, standard khaki. They're like a different material. They're $150 pants, Chris. I know. I know. I know. But they're tactical pants, man. They're tactical pants. Don't you go spending our rope budget. <laughs> All right. You're right. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. All right. I'll, I'll simmer down. I'll simmer down. We got a double boost from the Golden Dragon. He sent us in a little small row of ducks saying that things had him feeling a little awkward in episode 475. Like maybe we were getting a little Linux betrayal-y when we were talking about how you could use Windows, Mac, or Linux these days. He didn't like it too much. So to make up for it, he sent us a triple boost with another row of small ducks. But honest and truly, I am Robin Hood. Now he's bringing up the whole east and east north east and north and south I, the carolina thing i just i hate to get into the carolina barbecue thing again but he's doing it so we're I going feel in there like says, we don't have a choice it's vinegar based sauce guys it was it's a kind of waste nothing but the squeal type approach it was trendy oh when you add it to your meat it can make it super tender and juicy all right i, I don't know man if you got to rely on a sauce i feel like it's maybe not great barbecue that's just my thing. Like oh, the barbecue, yeah. The barbecue whoa. should you should be able to eat it without sauce. I'm, and then if you add sauce, it makes You're it better. You're just throwing down like that, dude. I send your feedback to Chris at JupiterBroadcasting.com. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, if you disagree, boost in. We'll make it work out. We'll figure it out. You're a madman. That's that's some bold stuff you've got going there. I know. It, it offends people. I should be careful. Oh, hey, guys, sent us in a multi-part boost, uh, 444 cents. I think you guys should check this out. It's an article by The New Yorker, Mario, not so super at 40. It's probably, he says in the second part boost, best read in Mario's voice. It's a me, a Mario. And the whole thing is an article written in Mario's voice. And it's it hits a little close to home about how life's harder for Mario at 40. Like things like, so basically I wake up and it's like, I can't move my back like at all. So I go to Dr. Mario, no relation. And he's like, Mario, when's the last time you had a physical? And I'm like, can't you just look at my back like a normal? And he's like, a no, no, I'm starting to think there might be an underlying problem. And it just, the whole thing goes on. It's, it's about life at 40 and, um, I'll leave it for you to read. I'll have it linked in the show notes. Thanks, OA guy. Nothing like that to make me feel old. He did send us a double boost, though. Another row of duckos. Boost. He says, uh, still prefers Vim over TextMate and BB Edit. Very good. We got uh, 3,737 stats from TrevDev. And he says, uh, in regards to comments last week we made about using Windows, Mac, and Linux being fairly interchangeable, he says, I'd like to gently remind you both that the three distros, Windows, Mac, and Linux, 
are not really on equal footing. Linux is clearly superior, and it doesn't come with the bloat of Windows. Embrace, extend, and extinguish. We are currently at the extend phase. WSL is the extend phase. Does that mean extinguish is like the next phase that Linux is going to die? Is that what you mean? I'm pretty sure Linode is like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, TrevDev, I'm curious if you think that Windows could actually extinguish Linux because it just doesn't seem possible. As long as you're going to have any kind of substantial server market, it's going to be beneficial to have the desktop around in some capacity, right? I mean, you've you got to have a dev, a dev platform. you got to have a test platform. So I think as long as you have a substantial server deployment, I think you're always going to have a Linux desktop of some form. I don't know if it'll be the king desktop, but I think it'll always be around. But I'm curious to know, TrevDev, if you think they actually could extinguish Linux altogether. Elray741 boosted in with 2,245 sats. Boost! He actually has a correction on my comment about how JB is using Cloudflare. He says, I only know because I've been helping with the new website that's under development. And he says, you're not really using any of the fancy features of Cloudflare like Mike was actually talking about. You're just using it for DNS. <laughs> yeah, I know. But we could turn that stuff on. Um, but it's a hell of a could. DNS provider. It sure is. He sh- it sure is. I actually do. I actually have liked it. I didn't want to. I was very resistive. Why? I what's your, what's your beef with Cloudflare? Uh, I think they want to ta- they want to be like the Walmart of network services. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. But I just mean that like in a huge like market dominator way. And well, yeah, we, we need to get to where there's only one company named Mom, right? And that, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly isn't that what we're doing. Here? We are. That is exactly what's happening. That was my only hesitation. <laughs> yeah, I think you get it, right? It's just a little concerning. I, I feel like I've seen this before. Right? <laughs> You're probably right. That's a future Rama reference for for the Gen uh, Zers in the crowd. It's it's, it's a good rewatch. Holds up. It, it does hold up. It's a little too close to home on certain episodes, though. No kidding. Mm, you should you should mm. you should watch it with a post COVID eye. Double boost from Elry seven forty one. Just checking out Podverse. Thanks for the awesome show. So Podverse, just a quick tangent here. Podverse is one of these new apps, these new podcasting apps that are pretty great. It's got an iOS, an Android, and a web version, and it's all open source. But here's what's really cool. So I interviewed the develop- one of the developers, the co-founder, for Office Hours. And then after he came on Office Hours, he agreed to help us out with the new website that we're working on. And so now our embedded player on our new website is the Podverse mp3 player we've gotten we, we they worked with us to make their web player that they have embeddable and that it can point at our own files and so when the new website launches we're going to have a podverse player that has like chapter support and playback speed support boost support all right there built into the web player open source gpl baby and uh mitch at podverse has been helping us out with the new website to make it all possible and he loves Code Radio so much, he included it twice in his directory. There you go. You know what? Let's get it in there a third time, eh? Oh, you know what that is? <gasps> I know that beautiful old artwork. What is it? What'd you find? That's the old member we have changed feeds way back when. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Because 2017 feed update. That's what that is. Good old days. The old feed, the old logo. You know, I don't mind the old logo. I like the old logo. We we never did new coasters for the new logo. We should, though. I do like the new logo, too. But I just, you know, the old logo, I remember thinking when we were trying to figure out the logo, was like, how the hell do you even, the show hadn't launched yet? Like, how the hell do you even visualize the show? Like, 
We can't just have like HTML code or something. And now if we did a logo, it would just be a MacBook with a bottle of gin poured into it. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, if you want to check out Podverse, it's like podverse.fm. It's one of the apps at newpodcastapps.com. And it's neat because it's because it's GPL. It's also in F-Droid if that's how you roll. And then we did get a series of thank you boosts. 5,000 sats from LT Guy for episode 475, and then an additional 5,000 sats from LT Guy 005 for episode 474. We got some leet sats from AV Parker, and we got some future sats 476 from KP Vuck. Thank you, KP, for boosting the future. If you'd like to send us a boost, you could try out Fountain FM. I'll have a, a link in the show notes, which is like uh, my link. I think it connects you to my account so you can see my clips and. Uh, that kind of stuff. But you can just also grab any po- any of the new podcast apps that look interesting to you at newpodcastapps.com. And one more note, I was on the Podcasting 2.0 podcast. I think it's episode 94. And we talked about the podcast biz. We talked about advertisings. We talked about memberships. We talked about standards and Spotify and all kinds of things. It was actually a really fun chat. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, go check out the Podcasting 2.0 podcast i think it's episode 94 titled bells out is the episode i'm on i got good news for our members the new coderly report is out Uh, it took me a little bit longer than normal because i was slammed recently but it turned out really good this is one i think it's worth becoming a member for if you're not already we did a little look back at like 2014 2015 early days of the show and replayed some moments where we kind of talked about issues at the time and then we reflect on them now or some predictions we made, one that I got massively wrong and a couple that we got right. But we it was just it was more fun than I was expecting. Thanks to Alex, too, for uh, for clipping a lot of those and tweeting them at us. So we had a good batch to go through from the past because he's been going through the back archive. So the timing just worked out good. And uh, I thought it turned out really well. So it's a new Coderly. It is live now in your members feed or if you're subscribed to the public feed, you can also just go to your memberful dashboard and you can download it directly and just play it if you like. And if you want to become a member and you're not one yet, coderqa.co, become one of our QA members. You get access to every every Coderly, so you get all the previous ones too. You support the show and you get an ad-free version of the feed. So you get all of Drew's nice hard work, but without the advertisements in it, you know, for your preferences. So go check that out, or you can keep the public feed and just download the specials when they're available. CoderQA.co. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the peeps this week? Uh, follow me at Dubinoko on Twitter, and why don't you check out Alice.dev for your automation needs. I don't believe you. No, oh, I believe you. I think that's a great tip right there. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Coder Radio Show. The network is at Jupiter Signal. Links to what we talked about today, that's on our website, coder.show slash 476. If you'd like to check out the in-development website, jupiterbroadcasting.net. And then you can report an issue on our JB GitHub. Love to have your eye on it. Let us know what you think. It's going to be live pretty soon. You can also send us some feedback at coder.show slash contact. That's a big part of the show, as well as a boost. We appreciate that. And you can subscribe. We've got our RSS feeds over there as well. And of course, we're live Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for joining us. See you back here next week.